welcome to the AD's office with Alex Larson and Devin Puckus. All right, what's up, sports fans? Welcome back to the 17th office of Seventeenth office, man. 17th episode of the AD's office. He's Alex. I'm Devin. Office hours officially open. Yeah, we had a ton of good games over the weekend and a handful of games that nobody really wanted to watch anyway. Some late season controversy, some playoff hopes that are ballooning, some playoff hopes that fell like a lead balloon. Typical week 17. Yeah, pretty much. If you were a fan of one of the not-so-good football teams this weekend, then I hope you got to enjoy some college football afterwards. There were some good games on. Yeah, I think the uh, the committee got it right, and we'll just leave the college takes alone. Leave it at that. Maybe we'll touch on it on the off season. Who knows? Draft, draft season. We'll have to talk about those quarterbacks for sure. Oh, most definitely. But for now, we're talking the NFL. Opening up the weekend, Steelers, what can we say? 17 straight non-losing seasons. It's kind of remarkable that the Steelers are almost certainly not going to make the playoffs. They're currently sitting as the ninth team. Obviously, top seven teams from the AFC go to the playoffs. They're number nine right now. Outside looking in, probably not going to get in, even if they win. Right. Same as last season. And yet, 17 straight winning seasons for Mike Tomlin. It's just crazy. And I'm going to steal a phrase from uh, some some hockey followers here with the Minnesota Wild. He's kind of coaching with one of his hands behind his back, too. He's got no quarterback. Mitch Trubisky wasn't the answer. Kenny Pickett, now healthy, they're still keeping him on the bench. So obviously also not the answer. Back to good old Rudolph from several seasons ago with his entire own controversy, I guess. Yeah, typically Rudolph has better success around the holidays, but, you know, the Steelers are doing what they can. And the AFC North in general had a pretty decent weekend. Yeah. We'll ignore the Bengals because they were already eliminated. doesn't really matter. Yep. The Bengals were eliminated last week, so... Like you were saying, the Steelers. Yeah, Steelers got their win. They beat the Seahawks, which was actually a huge domino to fall on the NFC side of playoff seating. For sure. Seattle no longer has any control of their destiny. They need the Green Bay Packers to lose if Seattle's even going to have a chance at the playoffs. Right. But the Steelers stay alive, maybe make things interesting. And then you have the Browns, who improbably on their fourth quarterback this season clinched a wild card spot with a 37 20 victory over the jets man does watson suck (laughs) no it's interesting because these four quarterbacks deshaun watson was bad pj walker got benched for deshaun watson because i think money talks is really the only reasoning there sure but then watson gets hurt which made him worse than worse I don't know. Right. Dorian Thompson Robinson comes in, and he's not good. And then he gets hurt. Right. So they call Joe Flacco and say, hey, if you're tired of watching Red Zone every weekend, you can come play if you want to. You can come win the originators of your former franchise 
a playoff game, probably, alluding to the fact that the Ravens are actually the Browns from before the Browns. And so it all gets messy. But the thing is, is that are the Browns the most dangerous team in the AFC right now? Are they the one team that could really knock off the Ravens? It would be so, from my perspective, poetically unjust for <laughs> yeah. Joe Flacco to come <laughs> off the couch, play for six weeks, and then have a second-round matchup against his former team, the Ravens, and just annihilate them. But it's all coming together in a way that you think Flacco's elite run that he had in 2012 got to the Super Bowl with the yeah. Ravens. In addition to his play, that 2012 Ravens defense was elite. Well, the 2023 Browns defense is elite. Elite, just like you're saying. He has one incredibly specific brand of football, and that is play good for maybe eight games, hopefully win a championship out of it. We've seen him do it once. Again, part of that eight-game stretch in 2012 where he was amazing. And then next year, maybe they'll say, oh, yeah, Flacco at 47,000 years old is the answer, and Watson's terrible despite all the money we're paying him. And then they'll play Flacco again, and he'll be garbage like he was for every single year of his career that wasn't 2012. It's entirely possible. He is currently having, if I remember correctly, over a five-game stretch. He hasn't had a passer rating as good as it is right now. It's Right now it's hovering right at 90, and his passer rating hasn't been that good in a five-game stretch basically since that Super Bowl year. And even in that Super Bowl year, it didn't stay that high. Admittedly, he's throwing quite a few interceptions as well. But he's just slinging the football, and he's feeding David Njoku, and he's feeding Amari Cooper. And you and I talked about it a couple weeks ago. You feed your best players, and good things happen. And he's turning the ball over, but he's also feeding his best players. Yeah. And this is without Nick Chubb. So right. this this is a team that lost their starting running back, a superstar running back, lost their starting quarterback, who was supposed to be a superstar but isn't, but that's not really the point. The Browns had every reason to be demoralized and just throw in the towel, honestly, like week four. Yeah, they totally did. The fact they are still fighting, I think, is reflected in how Flacco's playing. It's house money. Yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of right on the head. They're playing with free bets. They don't care. Like we said a few weeks ago, he doesn't even know how much money he's making. He's sitting there thinking, mm -hmm. yeah, I'll get a paycheck and hopefully win a playoff game. There will be a banner with my name on it in Cleveland. And, you know, if we win a Super Bowl, that would be awesome. I don't think they're winning a Super Bowl. But no. if they did, that would be pretty awesome. It'd be a phenomenal story. And it would make the offseason conversation with Deshaun Watson very, very interesting. Better. It would make the conversation better because hopefully he's no longer a part of the NFL moving forward if that happens. Yeah, we're uh, we're still spinning that record. And we'll continue to spin that record. Forever. Until he's out. Until he's out. But on the flip side of that game, the Seahawks, yeah, like you alluded to, borderline eliminated from playoff contention. The Packers, they're on a win-and-they're-in trajectory. Yep. They'll get in if they beat the Chicago Bears next week because of the Seahawks loss. Right, which feels pretty likely. It 
feels like it'll happen. The Bears have been a little bit dangerous the last few weeks. They played great this past weekend. Justin Fields showed out. But, man, Seahawks kind of fumbled the bag. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we talked about all season and even week one. We weren't sure if the Seahawks had playoff potential because the Rams getting people back, getting healthy. Obviously, they've really hit on some draft picks lately. And frankly, it's not as simple as who's the better quarterback, but Matthew Stafford's better than Geno Smith. True. So we have wondered all year if Seattle was going to be able to figure it out. It looks like when it's really down to the wire, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in this Seattle team. Yeah, I am absolutely right there with you. And it's kind of reminiscent of the 2022 season. The Seahawks didn't lock up their matchup until the Lions beat the Packers on Sunday Night Football, the last game of the regular season. Here we are. The Bears and Packers are not going to be Sunday Night Football. But here we are. Again, the Seahawks aren't going to know their destiny until later in the day on Sunday. Yeah, it's not fun to have your destiny completely in the hands of somebody else. But when you play poorly, that's where you end up. Right. On the other side of that argument... The Baltimore Ravens clinched the number one seed. There's nothing more they need to do. And likely, Lamar Jackson clinched the MVP with a stellar performance when he was already coming into the weekend For as sure. the favorite. Yeah. I mean, we said two weeks ago it was Brock's to lose. Brock's then lost it. Yep. Brock, it was a conversation between him and Lamar at this point. And Brock had a good game this past weekend. He had several big touchdowns yep but lamar jackson dominated this he, week he did and it was against we're not totally sure if the dolphins are a good team but the dolphins are a playoff team yep they clinched at least a wild card so it's a playoff team a high caliber opponent and lamar went off five touchdowns and he had a perfect passer rating and i saw this stat and thought it was just i thought it was unreal I double-checked, looked it up. That is the third time in Lamar's career that he has had a perfect passer rating. You have to have at least 15 attempts, because obviously Tyler Huntley came in to end of the game, and he had a perfect passer rating. He threw yeah. one He threw one pass for a touchdown. Nobody cares. Doesn't count. But it, with at least 15 attempts, there are only a handful of guys who have had three perfect passer rating games in their entire careers. Lamar Jackson now joins... Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, and Kurt Warner. Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, will be Hall of Fame. You oh, know, Yeah. It's crazy, and it's such a short list, which is what made me question that only three times. But a per perfect passer rating is almost impossible to get. Yeah. I mean, you and I alone have watched, what, has there been 100 games this season? We watched tons and tons of football. How many perfect passer ratings have there been this season? I can think of one off the top of my head before this, and that was Brock Purdy. Yeah. And he had one. And they've one. had some dominant games. The Niners have t torn some people apart. So to have three, and Lamar is only 26 years old. So he has three perfect games at 26 years old when we know that Kurt Warner, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger all played for at least a decade longer than Lamar has played. Yeah, yeah, it's impressive for sure. So he's 
just about wrapped up the MVP for this year. Not only that, but Baltimore has proven to be a playoff to fringe playoff team decimator this season. Yeah. They destroyed my Lions. Yep. They destroyed the Seahawks. When the Seahawks were looking like they could be yep. a good playoff team, let alone, you know, fringe playoff right now. Now they've destroyed the Dolphins, who we like to bring up. They scored 70 earlier this year. Right. They've had games where they score 30, 40 consistently. Yep. These Ravens are destroying everybody, including the Niners. And doing it on both sides. The offense is shredding good defenses like the Niners. The defense is stopping good offenses like the Dolphins. Special teams is not making mistakes. They obviously have more confidence in their kicker, Justin Tucker, than I think any team in the NFL. Right. It looks like the Ravens are the team to beat, and the Dolphins are in the playoffs, but clinging to that last thread of life for the AFC East title. We talked about it for the last several weeks. The Buffalo Bills, if they could get hot, could actually get to the AFC East crown. Yep. And here we are, headed into week 18. The Dolphins will host the Bills. The winner of that game wins the AFC East. Yeah, here we are, you know, looking at the Bills to say, at one point in time, we could have dropped you as low as number 20 in the power rankings if we really felt like it. Yeah. We didn't, but there was arguments. Now, Bills, number two number three in the power rankings holy buckets what a comeback it's been for them we thought firing their offensive coordinator could have been a mistake but new guy comes in they're playing efficient football they know when to lean on what strengths whether that's josh allen running whether that's james cook running or josh allen passing the ball they can do whatever they want to win these games Mm -hmm. and if they don't win against the dolphins this weekend they're out of the playoffs unless like Almost I think a million yeah. other things happen. But if they do win, they win the AFC East. Dolphins are in regardless. Oh man, that's going to be some crazy matchups in the postseason. Yeah, and the Bills kind of fighting for their life. The loss would be a much bigger deal for Buffalo. A loss yep. doesn't really change things for Miami other than the fact that they'd have to go on the road in the playoffs. Yeah, and I would have to feel for the Bills a little bit because we don't often see 10-win teams get left out of the playoffs. No, it's crazy. Yeah, but, man, come back for them. Props props for uh, dragging yourself out of that hole. Yeah, and I think they will. I think the Bills will take it to the Dolphins, win the AFC East, and they'll get to host a playoff game. I think you're right. The one kind of thing that is the holdup for me is that it's tough to sweep a division opponent. Sure. We know the Lions are better than the Packers and the Bears. We know the Vikings are better than the Packers. Mm, the Packers are they coming were. pretty strong. There was a point where the Vikings were better than the Packers. We think the Bears are the bottom of the division. They've played well lately. They're on the come up. But compared to the other three teams, we don't think they're super great. But no one is sweeping the NFC North this season. It's hard to do that. So that gives me a little bit of 
pumping the brakes for the Bills beating up on the Dolphins again. We already saw them beat them once. So we'll see what happens. Now, at some point we have to talk about it. It was a good weekend for the AFC North. It was a good weekend for playoff hopefuls. Bills Mafia enjoyed this weekend. Neither of us had had fun this weekend. It was it was not what we wanted. Yeah, and if you don't know, now you know. Alex is alluding to the Vikings losing handily to the Packers and probably destroying their playoff hopes, which mm-hmm. is hard for a Vikings fan. But man, the bigger story we'll get to in a moment is probably the biggest story of the week and there are opinions out there and there's three different kinds of ones that i'll walk you through after we talk about the packers and Vikings. all right yeah you're absolutely right the vikings getting walloped by the packers at home probably ends the hope of the vikings getting into the playoffs technically there's a whole bunch of combinations that yep. could add up to a minnesota playoff berth obviously the vikings would have to win and that's yep. not a certainty going up against the Lions. They would also need Green Bay, Seattle, Tampa Bay, New Orleans. They need a lot of help with some losses. Almost certainly the end of the season for the Vikings. And I was thinking about it with how you approach it. The general manager-head coach relationship is obviously extremely important. Oh, yeah. They have very different jobs. That they do. And they're tied at the hoop at the hip regardless they are almost always a gm and a head coach are going to be hired and fired together often the gm usually is the senior of the two Um, i'm technically the head coach typically reports to the gm but their jobs are different the coach his job is to win football games the gm's job is to put together the best possible roster so that the coach can go win football games. Sometimes there is conflict there. If I am Kwesi Dofa the Vikings general manager, my only instruction to to head coach Kevin O'Connell this week is that by the end of the week, I need to know if Jaron Hall has any chance of being a starting quarterback. I will leave it up to O'Connell to decide if that means Hall starts or sits. Because if Hall sits... I, as a GM, interpret that as he is not going to be a starting quarterback. That's all I need to know. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But I also think there's even a follow-up question is, is he ever going to be a starter? No? Okay, we need to draft a quarterback. Mm -hmm. But there's also, is he ever going to be good enough to be a reliable backup? Sure. He's a rookie right now. He's playing like a rookie. He's playing like a third string or fourth string. We saw him get benched this past weekend. In a year or two, is he going to be a good backup? Then he's maybe worth keeping around. We can put him on the practice squad. Yeah. Ultimately, I think we can look around the league. If your starting quarterback gets injured, unless you somehow have maybe one of the best defenses of all time in the Cleveland Browns, these other teams with backup quarterbacks playing substantial time, they're not making the playoffs. That's just what it is. I'm never going to be super concerned with who the second string quarterback is. I don't think it makes a team competitive to have a good backup. I think a good backup in a pinch for a week or two is important. But long term, if your starter goes down, ACL, Achilles, 
whatever it is, that season's almost certainly over. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly true. But if any year is ever going to show us what having a good backup is for, it's this year. There's a lot of backups who have played substantial minutes this year. Trevor Simeon for the Jets. Joe Flacco obviously playing very well with the Browns. Bailey Zappi went in a half a dozen times for uh, Mac Jones and the Patriots. Taylor Heineke. We've seen Sam Howell get benched multiple times. Gardner Minshew is absolutely balling. Mason Rudolph carries the Steelers to their billionth consecutive winning season. Easton Stick has looked terrible. Jake Browning has been pretty good. They're not going to make the playoffs, but he played pretty well. And the list goes on and on. Yeah. It's worth developing. It's worth developing, but it's also just a budget move. Keep the cheaper yeah. guy who has, I suppose, enough talent to be your scout team quarterback. I'm sure. Can he run the playbook in practice to just help the defense walk through things? Because ultimately, you look at the playoff teams in the AFC right now, the Ravens, Dolphins, Chiefs, and Browns have all secured a spot. Yep. The Browns obviously are the exception, but Ravens, Dolphins, Chiefs, starting quarterback has been there all year. And right. in the hunt, Jaguars, Bills, Colts, Texans, Steelers, the Jaguars have had Trevor Lawrence for almost the entire season. The Bills have had Josh Allen the whole season. The Colts haven't, but they right. are likely outside looking in. The Texans had C.J. Stroud for most of the season, lost him for a few weeks, and now they are looking like outside looking in. True. On the NFC side, Niners, Cowboys, Lions, Eagles, Rams, and then in the hunt, the Buccaneers and Packers are all starting quarterbacks Starters. playing the entire season. Yeah. Generally, your starting guys got to be there. Yeah. 99% of the time. This season, absolute anomaly. But wow, there's a lot of backups playing significant time this season. There really are. So that's really all I want as a Viking fan. I want to come out of week 18. I don't care about a win or loss. It doesn't really matter. It's not a playoff winning team, even if the Vikings squeak into the playoffs. Sure. I want to know, is Jaron Hall good enough to think he has a chance to be the guy? And if not, then off-season conversation do you bring Kirk back do you bring in a guy like Russell Wilson we'll talk about that later or do you go all in and draft one of the big names lots for the Vikings to figure out and lots for the NFL to figure out when they teach refs how to interpret plays like the final play of your least favorite game of the week there's your segue let's go all right Here's the deal. Here's what happened. If you don't know, now you know. Said it once, now I've said it twice. At the end of the Lions versus Cowboys game, there was a thing that happened. And we have seen many things happen at the end of many games that involve refs. Everybody's least favorite person on a football field. But a necessity. They have to be there. They do make our game better, even though we feel like they don't so so often. Yeah. This weekend was one of those times. And it was debatably the most noticeable time ever that we've seen a ref screw something up. It was a pretty it was a pretty public nationwide coverage type of yep. situation. Literal end of the game. 
Right. So with about 20, 22, 23 seconds left, the Lions score the go-ahead touchdown to essentially tie the game. It would be 19-20 to 20 at that point in time. And the Lions, before the drive even started, head coach Dan Campbell tells the offense, we're going to go, we're going to take the field, we're going to score, we're going to go for two, and we're going to win the game. That's what he said. He told that to Jared Goff, and they got 90% of the way there. They score the go-ahead touchdown with Amon Ross St. Brown squeaking into the end zone with 22 seconds left, and then they say they're going to go for two. They succeed after having a trick play where they have left tackle Taylor Taylor Decker report as eligible to the head officiant Brad Allen except that Brad Allen thought that it was Dan Skipper, who was number 70 versus number 68. And so he then calls a penalty for illegal touching as Taylor Decker caught the game-winning two-point conversion. Number 70 wasn't even on the field. He was like 30 feet away from the referee when the referee called that number 70, Dan Skipper, was the one who reported as eligible. So you're just blatantly wrong, and it's with video evidence to prove it and it's not even really a debate so there are essentially three types of people in the nfl at this exact moment haters who want to blame something on the lions that is provably and undeniably not on the lions cowboys fans and everyone else that's it you fall into one category i like that you single out cowboys fans as their own subgroup I'd maybe even throw a little asterisk on there. Um, blind Cowboys fans. Yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't even a question. The, the, I think the real question that has, was posed immediately, and the internet, Twitter, X, whatever, was blowing up with the core question of, was it rigged? Or was yep. it just honestly a terrible, terrible mistake? And it was so, so blatant that that was the immediate question was. It's absolutely one of the two. There's no, there is no version of watching it back or even watching it in real time where it, they got it right. They got it wrong. The question is, did they get it wrong because of honest misunderstanding or confusion in full speed of the game? Or did they get it wrong because they were told to get it wrong and a major part of that conversation that some people and you know maybe you've only casually followed the nfl because you don't like the ad's office and you're a loser or you listen intently and you know what's going on and you're a subscriber to the ad's office shout out shout out then you can say that you followed along and you recognize oh a ref may have gotten this wrong but maybe not maybe it was the lion's fault until you find out that head coach dan campbell met with the officials prior to the game which is normal every head coach meets with the officials prior to every game the head ref walks over in pregame coach gets a chance to talk to him say hey you know keep an eye out for this hey this guy this guy keeps getting held hey this guy on their team likes to do this and it's not allowed just keep an eye on stuff because obviously coaches watch a lot more film of their team and their opponent than the refs do. Yeah, and I'm sure that refs are in the know about specific players, but it's not their job to really watch film with the intent of discovering what teams are doing. 
their job is to enforce the rules. So when you find out then that head coach Dan Campbell not only had the regular meeting with the sideline officials, but he also then went above and beyond to have a second meeting with the head official Brad Allen and provided a written diagram of the play to show who would be reporting as eligible. On top of that, you then see that Taylor Decker, when he lined up on the line of scrimmage, lined up as if he were eligible, which means you need to be in a certain spot, and Dan Skipper lined up as if he were ineligible, meaning you need to be in a specific spot. Everyone doubles down on it, and that Dan Skipper is not within 10 feet of you when you have the conversation with the debatably eligible or not linemen. It's not even a debate. They got it wrong. That's not a question. For some not Lions-biased balance here, here's the benefit of the doubt perspective. And I'll just use the numbers for those of you who don't know player names. Taylor Decker, number 70. 68. Taylor Decker, number... <laughs> numbers, there's the problem. <laughs> Taylor Decker, number 68, caught the pass. Yes. Skipper coming in, number 70 jogs onto the field. He was not on the field prior to the play. So he comes jogging in and heads straight for the ref, not for the huddle. There really was no reason for him to run over to the ref other than you have a guy coming off the side, runs over to the ref, and you have a player who was already on the field, Taylor Decker, walk over to the ref. Maybe you throw a little confusion on the defense of hey, one of those guys is going to be going out for a pass. It seems a little silly in my head to try to trick a defense because then the referee has to announce to the entire stadium which player reported as eligible. And he did say number 70 reported as eligible. Once they lined up, number 70 was no longer in an eligible position. And if you don't know the rules all that well, that that's entirely fine. The, I guess simple version is, a lineman cannot receive a pass if he is not the last guy on the line. He has to be the farthest out from the center. And Skipper was covered by another lineman. He wasn't eligible. Even if he reported as eligible, right. where he lined up made him ineligible. Right. Decker, on the opposite side, lined up in a position that he could be eligible. He obviously caught the pass. That was the intent of the play. It's possible, benefit of the doubt, the referee saw number 70 jogging in. And typically when a guy, when an extra lineman jogs on for a play and someone reports as eligible, typically it's the guy who just ran on. Counter. Hit it. The Buffalo Bills in 2022, the year of our Lord, (laughs) ran the exact same play with multiple people walking up to the ref in the exact same way that the Detroit Lions did in the playoffs of 2022, nearly one year ago, and did the exact same thing and no issue happened. Devin, that was a totally different ref. That doesn't matter. It was the same ref. No. Yes. That's disgusting. And to be clear, Jared Goff, the quarterback of the Detroit Lions, did say after the game, this is a quote, It's nothing like the fix is in. It's not rigged. Jared Goff came out and purposefully announced, hey, the ref didn't screw us over because he got paid off. 
he just messed up. Yep. And I do think that's what happened. I don't think that it was some crazy thing um, where someone got a buyout or something. I think he screwed up. My biggest pushback on the Lions being so upset after the fact, because I think we're on the same page. It wasn't a fix. It just was a blatant mistake, a very costly mistake, but a blatant mistake. Sure. The penalty doesn't take the ball away. The Lions get another opportunity. They back up five yards, run another play. Why not just kick the extra point at that point, tie it up, go to overtime? I think that's a totally valid point. Dan Campbell went on the radio on Tuesday of this week, and he essentially answered that question because it was a radio show in Detroit, and he got not heated, but I do think Dan Campbell's an incredibly passionate person. I don't think anyone oh, yeah. can deny that. No, fired he up said, all the time. He said on the radio, tell me what you want to tell me. And the radio host goes, what do you mean? And Dan Campbell says, say it like you would say it to a normal person on the radio that calls in. And the guy says, I think that going for it again for two from seven yards out instead of from the two yard line is a low percentage play. And Dan Campbell said, no, say it with your chest. Tell me what you think. And the radio host goes, it was reckless and dumb. And Dan Campbell comes back. There it is. And essentially says, we're playing for seeding. We're in the playoffs. They already had Sam Laporta get injured during that game. They already had Jamison Williams get injured in that game. And he had already said, I'm sticking to my guns. We're going down the field. We're going to score. And we're going for the win with the two-point conversion. He then proceeded to explain on the radio show, if we would have gotten another penalty and it would have been past the nine-yard line, if we would have been at the 10 or further, we're kicking the PAT and we're going to overtime. But if it was within nine or closer we were going for two and you know what he's right you are just playing for seeding and it sucks and the one seed would still be in play if the lions had won this game but at the end of the day yeah it doesn't destroy anything but what it did do is it showed that the dallas cowboys who have seemed unbeatable at home averaging more than 40 points per game the lions absolutely showed weaknesses in that Dallas team even at home yeah no you you made them bleed a little bit I think you said Dan Campbell essentially decided he was going to stick to stick to his guns I think that's it if you if you're one of those fans who for whatever reason just has to blame somebody and you can't just say you know that that's football that is what it is I would say if you have to blame someone you blame Dan Campbell for sticking to his guns too hard because I think if you go to overtime, all of the momentum is on the side of the absolutely enraged Lions players. Maybe. You go to overtime, the Lions want it more. Absolutely want it more. And the Cowboys already know that they're lucky to be alive at that point. So the Cowboys are reeling. Lions are mad. I kick the extra point, huddle the team up, and say, you know what? We're going to go take it from them. If we're on defense, so be it. Tear them apart. If we're on offense, cool, we're going to run it down their throats. I get that, but on the flip side, these Lions have already lost an overtime matchup to the Seahawks earlier this season from a coin flip. Kind of. Your defense can still get a stop. Yeah, yeah, they definitely can, but you're going against CeeDee Lamb. He's got 230 yards today. It's true. Now, I, 
I get not wanting, if you're looking at it, it's just seeding and you don't really care. It was the right move because you lose whatever, you're still in the playoffs, and you saved the wear and tear of another 10 minutes of football. I think it's a co- it, I think it was a ref mistake followed by a coaching mistake that made it look worse than it needed to. I would say the refs, the refs dropped the game. We know there was 20 seconds left. In theory, the Cowboys could go another 50 sure. yards and kick a field goal. Totally plausible. Yep. Likely, not really. Not because likely. 20 seconds, no timeouts. You know, it could happen, but not super likely. The refs lost this game for the Lions. Could Dan Campbell have chosen to play a different way in response? Yes. Do I think that would have been right? No. And a major thing that Dan Campbell has said all season long is we kind of live for these types of losses. You know, the Lions currently are on the longest streak in the NFL going back to October of 2022 of not losing back-to-back games. You think that the Vikings are going to get hit a little bit harder this week after what happened last week? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, And I think that... And I think that this is absolutely going to cause the Lions to feast in their first playoff home game since 1993. It's true. If you can carry that rage into the first game of the playoffs, maybe it's worth it. And that's the exact word that Dan Campbell used. I believe his term was, this is focused rage for the rest of the season. So it could turn out to be a blessing in disguise type of situation. But overarchingly, it was another time where the refs were the headliner instead of a great football game. And that's disappointing for football fans everywhere. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the NFL responds with reviewing certain things. And and maybe, maybe the league won't. And teams will say, all right, if we're going to put a guy as eligible, we're going to make it so blatantly obvious. That guy's going to go stand and face the camera and brush his jersey. And everyone in the world is going to know who it is. Because ultimately, if the play is designed well and executed well, it doesn't matter if the defense knows which guy is looking for a pass. He'll still pull it off. But the officiant that made this mistake, I'm going to call it what it was, was a mistake. He's not going to be refing in the playoffs. So I think that's about as clear as reprimanding a referee can get. Now, elsewhere, (laughs) elsewhere in the league, because this isn't just a Lions talk show. Absolutely not. The Lions are just relevant, so we talk. It just happened to be the biggest storyline of this weekend. A couple minor storylines. The Rams technically beat the Giants. I would say managed to not lose to the Giants. It wasn't a super great game for the Rams. Right. But because of Seattle's loss, Rams are in the playoffs. And a sub story that I think is interesting to watch Pukunakua is just 29 yards away from the rookie wide receiver receiving yard record. That record has been around for 63 years, and 29 yards is very attainable the way Puka has been playing this season. Absolutely. That said, the Rams have nothing to play for, so we'll see. I hope that Stafford or the coaches or somebody says, let's at least get him 30 then we can rest. Yeah, I think that that's pretty likely. 
we already saw this coaching staff and this quarterback get Cooper Cup the triple crown a couple of years ago. Bingo. Why would they not try to get him yeah. a receiving record? Nah, get your guys their wins when you can. Speaking of wins, Kansas City Chiefs won the AFC West again for the, I don't know, seventh, eighth time in a row. And Patrick Mahomes has always won his division. This is probably the least impressive Chiefs team we've ever seen with Patrick Mahomes. Yep. And yet they won their division. So, yeah, I'd be shocked if either of us end up picking them to win the Super Bowl of the upcoming playoff teams. Like you said, unimpressed. Unimpressed. Also unimpressed with the Carolina Panthers, but that's not news. The Jaguars beat them 26 to 0 with their backup quarterback. So maybe it is the year of the backups. The Jags are not guaranteed a playoff spot, though. They have to beat the Titans to guarantee their spot. The Titans just got absolutely destroyed by the Texans. And if Houston beats Indianapolis coming up this weekend, they get in the playoffs. If Indianapolis wins, they get in as a wild card at least. If Jacksonville loses, then the winner of that Indy-Houston game actually wins the division. So the AFC South, completely up for grabs. Yeah, the AFC South has been kind of wild this year. It's just we thought we were going to maybe have one super trash team and a couple middle-of-the-pack teams, and then the Jaguars take a step forward. But Trevor Lawrence has taken a step back while the Jaguars figured out other ways to win. Man, it's been a story in and of itself. It has. And the Texans have been kind of the Cinderella story of the season with C.J. Stroud almost certainly going to be the offensive rookie of the year. And if he has a good performance in the final game of the season, I think that will lock the the award up for him. It's kind of crazy that he hasn't locked it already because a month ago he was surefire. It was the easiest yep. offensive rookie of the year we've ever seen. But now it's like, oh, you missed three games with a concussion and what's going on. So opens the door for someone like Jordan Addison or Jameer Gibbs or Bijan Robinson. Who knows? Technically not a shoe in, but pretty much quarterbacks win most of the hardware. Yep. Pretty much. That's just how it goes. The Philadelphia Eagles are tumbling. They lost to the Cardinals over the weekend, 35, 31, which gave the Niners, the one seed all locked up here on the AD's office. We had the Eagles as the number one team in the NFL from week seven to week 12. Yes, we did. Since week 12, they lost to the Niners, lost to the Cowboys, lost to the Seahawks, and now lost to the Cardinals. They beat the Giants somewhere in there, but who hasn't? But who cares? <laughs> and this is a game that the Eagles absolutely should have won. They were up 21 to six at the half. They were up 28 to 21, so still a touchdown lead early in the fourth quarter. I don't know what's happening in Philadelphia. I don't know who is not doing their job. I don't know. Matt Patricia. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Wait. So Matt Patricia got added to a defensive staff and they actively got worse. Sounds right. That's really familiar. I've seen this movie before. Yep. Huh. This is a sequel. It's a sequel, but like one of those che- like cheesy Sharknado 3 sequels. Right. It's so terrible, we'll probably watch, but we all know how it's going to end. No one's going to be satisfied. It looks like it's going to end with a first-round playoff exit, the way that this is going down. 
Yeah, they are trending in the wrong direction, for sure. And then, one of the more interesting stories from this week, the Broncos are eliminated from playoff contention, even though they beat the Chargers, because that's how playoff math works. But they benched Russell Wilson for the rest of the season. There are conflicting reports about why they benched Russell Wilson. Factually, Russell Wilson has an injury guarantee in his contract. If he fails his physical at the start of the league year in March, his 2025 salary of $37 million is fully guaranteed. If he passes his physical, it's not fully guaranteed. It's that simple. So hypothetically, now we're into the speculation side of it, if he were to get injured in these final two weeks, he would likely not be able to pass that physical and the Broncos would have to pay him. Back to factually, yeah, the Broncos have to pay him, I believe it's $39 million next season, whether or not he's on the team. Next season, 2024, fully guaranteed. There are rumors that players have said they want Russ gone because they watch the film during the week and it's obvious that he is missing open wide receivers. It's obvious he's not reading things correctly. You look at the stats and it seems like his numbers aren't terrible. He's really good in the fourth quarter, but then supposedly Sean Payton doesn't really care about the fourth quarter when you're playing from behind because most of that is unscripted anyway. So that proves that he's athletic, not that he knows how to run a good playbook. It's kind of nuts, though, because on the flip side of that coin, the only reason they've gone on this pretty decent streak the last two-ish months is because Russ has cooked in the fourth quarter. All these unscripted random plays and touchdowns to the back of the end zone, Yep, that's Russ cooking. So they've essentially only had this turnaround because the defense has been incredibly opportunistic getting turnovers, which... A little bit of luck involved, but they've forced a lot of fumbles this year on that team. Yeah. And then Russ being opportunistic. It's kind of crazy to think, oh, we might move on from this guy after we designated so much money to him when he's the only reason we've won any games this year. And it'll it'll be interesting to see if they do move on because the salary cap hit is virtually the same. If the Broncos cut him, they have to eat. $85 $85 million, 39 next season, and then they can spread the rest out. If they keep him, it's like 111 or so, but 90 on the books guaranteed. So it's basically the same. On the flip side, if Wilson is willing to take a one-year deal, he can pretty much play anywhere because the way that contract is structured with next year being fully guaranteed, any team that signs him to a 2024 contract can pay him the league minimum and the Broncos still have to pay the other $37.5, $38 million. The question is, will he take a one-year deal? Because if he takes a two-year deal, then the other team's going to have to put in some cash. But if he'll take a one-year, play for a minimum, any team could afford him. He can take a shot at a ring, collect $38 million from the Broncos to not be on their team. It's a business. And one of the number one trending teams to go for Russ this upcoming offseason, should he be made available? your Minnesota Vikings. Well, we're going to save that for another episode, and we're just going to wrap this one up with power rankings. That's more drama than we have time for this week. Looking at our rankings, we only have, 
it looks like three teams that we have more than one spot away from each other. So we're very, very close this entire rankings this week. Yeah, dust is definitely starting to settle. It's still Ravens, Niners, and Bills. Nothing changed from last week as the top three. We both launched the Browns up into the top five. And for me, they're four, Lions five. You have it flipped. But a new appearance in our top fives. Oh, yeah. I took the uh, Cowboys out of my top. I just knocked them down one spot from seven to eight. You looked unbeatable at home, and then you won based off of Zebras. You get knocked for that. Interestingly enough, we both dropped the Dolphins considerably. Still in the top ten, but they fall. But, yeah, other than that, our top five is pretty much the same. Ravens, Niners, Bills. Me, Lions, Browns, you, Browns, Lions. Bottom four, exact same as each other, I guess. Yep. Panthers, still bottom of the barrel, didn't score a single point. And then it's Patriots, Commanders, Titans climbing up the ladder a little bit. Cardinals jumped out of that spot because they beat the Eagles. So that's worth worth something. Apparently everyone does these days. I don't know. Really weird. Really, really weird. One more week of the regular season to go. A lot of potential outcomes still on the table. Yeah, pretty crazy stuff that we got going on. NFC North report to close us out. You have got the Packers sitting at 17, the Bears at 19, and Vikings at 20. I have the Packers down one below that, but otherwise we match up. Packers 18, Bears 19, Vikings 20. It looks like either way, no matter who we think is getting in the playoffs of that, probably not making any noise. Probably a quiet playoff exit, maybe at the hands of the Lions. Could be. And with that... Office hours are officially closed on week 17. Thanks for hanging out. Make sure you follow along on social media at the AD's office for any breaking news or real-time responses to refing blunders. And subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week. See ya. Thanks for joining us in the AD's office. Tune in next week as we take you through our takes on the NFL.